Hello, hello. Thanks for stopping in today for Poor Culture's Deeper Conversations. I am Carmen Michael Smith, and I welcome you. I hope that you're doing well today and that you are practicing living a God-first lifestyle and that your ordinary is being transformed into extraordinary. So the text I'm reading from today will be John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And I'll be reading the New Revised Standard Version that says, As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. I'm going to title today's conversation, Look What God Can Do. Now we meet the text where Jesus is passing by with the disciples and they are on the move. When Jesus observes a blind man since birth. Now the text doesn't tell us how Jesus knows that the man was born blind. And although there is much speculation, I submit that to start, blindness is a metaphor here that we might consider just for a moment that there are many forms of blindness, that there are many crosses that we must bear in this world. There are many lots in life that we must suffer. And the blindness here is the hand that this man was dealt. And let me just say that maybe some crosses we pick up at various points in our lives, while others we are simply born with. Just my thoughts. But for whatever the reason, Jesus, by simply observing the blind man, observes that he was born this way. But not only that he was born this way, but he was born this way so that God's works might be revealed in him. So let me take a moment just to encourage you listening that whatever you must suffer through in this life, whatever you must suffer, that if God has allowed it, God will use it because God wastes nothing. This man's blindness is bigger than him. It is and will be used by God. And the same thing for this man is the same thing for you. Your situation is bigger than you and it can or will be used by God. The abusive relationship, the molestation, the rape, the absent father, the baby mama drama, all those things, all those people and all those places that God has allowed you to suffer are bigger than you. Because God wastes nothing and God will use them so that his works might be revealed in you. Now, back to this man. This man isn't only blind. The neighbors, the people in the town who know this man, know him as a beggar. And I want you to know that this isn't, this isn't just some small thing. He is a blind beggar. But this isn't the begging that we are accustomed to, where people dress down in, in tattered clothes and, and try to look dirty and make signs about fake suffering only to prey upon the openness of God-hearted people. No. This blind beggar is supplicating. The word beggar here is supplicating. 
Supplication, defined as the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. He's the real deal. The word supplication comes from the Latin term supplicare, which means to plead humbly. It has the word supple at its roots. Now, you know when we try to describe something supple, it's normally skin, meaning soft. But supple means bending or moving easily, gracefully. It means flexible. You see, because when we pray with supplication, we are not only humbly submitting our request to God, we're doing it with the mindset of allowing God to mold our supple minds. We want God to mold our thinking and our opinions and our emotions to be in line with God's thinkings, opinions, and emotions. Supple. So that when this happens, God changes us to be more like Christ, which in turn changes our desires and our will to be in line with God's. So Jesus and his disciples are observing this blind beggar earnestly and humbly begging. And the disciples look and they ask who sinned this man or his parents let me just say on one hand the disciples are reacting as we often do to other people's suffering the question how did this happen often comes up because many well-meaning people insert themselves into the situation and question how did this happen not in an effort to help but in an effort to avoid this type of suffering being cast on themselves. But that places our care, our concern, not on the blind man, not on the person suffering, not on the person going through, but instead on ourselves. Child, better you than me, is what we're saying. But also, by asking this question, I give them a little leeway because common thought during this time was that some incarnation of this man or his parents, must have sinned. And thus, this incarnation, the man that we're seeing is, quote-unquote, paying the price, as we would say. This was something that someone had done wrong, and now we are witnessing the punishment. But, on the other hand, this line of questioning would be uncommon for those who knew the scriptures, or at least professed to know the scriptures. Because they would know the story of Job. Job, one of the, considered one of the greatest sufferers in the Old Testament. Job was called blameless and upright. And the scripture says that Job was a righteous man. And yet still God offered him up to suffer. Let me pause here for a PSA. I need to remind you that church folk and the church have historically been slow to repent of old ideas and ways of doing things. Because church folk not only know, but they believe they know best. So they ask, just as the disciples asked, who sinned? Now this is an unnecessarily curious question, who sinned? Because it concludes that this blindness suffering was punishment for some sort of heinous crime. But I venture to ask, what was it to them? What good would it do for them to know? Remember, they are passing by. 
talking about the blind man who is humbly and earnestly begging, but not addressing his request. You know, we seem to be very inquisitive about the nature of other people's sins than we are with our own. And I take it in my liberty that Jesus is a little annoyed. So Jesus responds to him by saying, neither this man nor his parents sin. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. I love the Message Bible's interpretation. It reads, Jesus said, you are asking the wrong question. In my head, I hear you're asking the wrong question, bro. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. That's it right there. This blind man is earnestly and humbly begging, and instead of focusing on the blindness, Jesus says, look instead for what God can do. I want to insert here that because this man is blind, he cannot look with his eyes. But that the disciples can look for a greater meaning. And I think the play with words here must mean something. And off the top of my head, I just come to that maybe when we see someone suffering, we have something they don't that could be of service. Maybe if we see someone hungry, we don't ask how did they lose their job and if they need food stamps, but that we say we have food. Now, look for what God can do with this situation. Just my personal thoughts here. So let me just say, get back to the story. I could go on and on about the many witnesses that could testify to the God in their suffering. But I'll just remind you of people, a person, Magic Johnson, who before the 1991-92 basketball season announced that he had HIV. I have to let you know that before then, before this moment, the black community believed that HIV only affected white gay men. But because God allowed a public figure as large, as well known as Magic Johnson, who also happened to be black, to carry this would-be cross, many people inside of the black community, many people in the sports community, many wealthy philanthropists, many missionaries and everyday people were awakened to the plight of those in the United States and around the world who were dying of AIDS. And because this awareness increased, I venture to say that millions of lives were saved. And at the very least, millions of lives were changed. Magic Johnson's suffering was bigger than him. So as we look back at this scene, I think maybe the blind man is just a reflection of the blindness of those passing by. The willful blindness. Those that observe from a distance. And I think maybe they are blind because they can only rely on what they can see. 
Because after all, as believers, our lives are a matter of faith, not sight. And then I think maybe they are blind because they've been blinded by blind teachers. You know, preachers, deacons, missionaries, grandma, grandpa, who were blinded by blind teachers. We would call that the blind leading the blind. But then again, maybe you're listening to this and you too are finding it difficult. Difficult to let go of your previous paradigms and conditioning on what it is or what it means to be blind. So let me say it this way. Maybe the disciples can't see properly beyond their own opinions and perspectives, upbringing, teaching, doctrines, and or dogma to look instead to what God can do. Maybe like many of us, the suppleness of their hearts and minds had hardened to the sovereignty of God, meaning God can do what God chooses to do. God uses people, and God is still actively at work revealing his works through the lives of people. Yes, God is using black people and brown people and white people to reveal his works. God is using young people. God is using old people, churched people and unchurched people, straight people. And yes, God is using gay people to reveal his works. And just like when Jesus was passing by, I think that those who hold to tradition and dogma, those who profess to know the scriptures and those blinded by only what they can see are always quick to call anything gay a sin. But I submit that Jesus would say, you're asking the wrong questions. That those who pass by our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters and non-binaries are fixated on sin. Who sinned? Who is the sin? Stop all that sinning. You're worried about the wrong things. You're asking the wrong questions. For we are born this way so that the works of God may be revealed in our lives. And if you would take a moment to look, to to with a supple mind, remove all of those preconceived doctrines and notions and things that you've been told, and really look, you may find living examples of what God can do. You know, indigenous people have long since allowed their hearts and minds to be supple to the ways of God by the many names that, that God has called around the world, the many ways of what God can do. The, the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, there's no such term as gay people. They're called gatekeepers because they allow us access to another level of loving. It is to say that if you see a queer person and you love them as you would love yourself, then another level of love is opened up for you and another level of love is opened up in this world. It's like a little portal. If you get through this level, you can go on to the next one of loving. And wouldn't we like the world to be a more loving place? And in some Native American communities, we are called two-spirited, which is my favorite, because it says that we are the original version of Adam. We are the likeness and image of God. Because Genesis tells us, for God said, let us make man in our image, both male and female. God is plural. God is two spirits combined to make one. 
And so Adam was the first creation in the image and likeness of God before the spirit of Adam and Eve, male and female, were separated. Yes, supple minds. You must have supple minds to receive this. You must remember God is sovereign and can do whatever God chooses to do. And I know some might ask, but, but Carmen, what about the scriptures condemning same-sex relations? And I'm going to be honest. I could sit here and go through and explain each misinterpreted scripture in its correct context. But why? Anyone who is not seeking to be enlightened, anyone whose hearts and minds aren't supple, aren't going to be enlightened. And let me be clear, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. Because as India R.E. once wrote, the truth needs no proof. It either is or it isn't. And so I encourage you to listen to this from a supple place. Listen to the still small voice within you, your internal spiritual truth detector. For you know the truth when you hear it. It resonates and it liberates. The Bible says that ye shall know the truth and the truth will make us free. And love has come and made us free, but we have allowed ourselves to cement unloving perceptions of what it is to be gay into our hearts and minds. But while Jesus was passing by and still is, let us hear what he is saying. That no one has sinned here. There is no such cause and effect. Being gay isn't a punishment. It isn't a sin. Being gay means that you too have been chosen and that you are sons and daughters of God. You are gatekeepers to a more just and a more loving world. You are a gift of love to a love-starved world operating only by what it can see. Because the one thing I know about love is that love requires that you feel. Love requires that we shut our mouths and instead look to what God can do. Because love shows up and love, when love shows up, it will disrupt everything you thought you knew. And I believe that there's no better time than now for disruption. There's not a better moment than now to practice feeling love. So let us do away with our rigid thinking and perceptions and dogmas. Let us take ourselves out of the equation Yes, what grandmama taught us, she, that's what she knew. Yes, what grandfather taught us, that's what he knew. But let us stop using the labels of sin and sinner as a way of othering and relegating people to the margins of society. Let us love remembering that there is nothing too hard for God. And with supple minds and supple hearts, and with closed mouths and with open eyes, that we all would stop and look instead. Look instead. Look instead for what God can do. Do it. Do it for the culture. Poor culture.